0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not contain or replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Property. I'm Glenn James and you're with John Pigeon, and also Sean Wellman and the team at Wellman Finance. We can't do this podcast, My Millennial Property, without the team at Wellman Finance. So please, if you are after a good quality dialed in mortgage broker, please reach out wellmanfinance.com.au forward slash m3 and Sean and the team. They'll always give you three options mm-hmm. for you to look at uh, when it comes to lenders and
0: banks. Dial him in.
1: Dial him in. So, thanks Welly for getting behind the podcast. Now, John. Yes. I've got two properties. It might be a principal place of residence. I've got a second property. Yes. And I'm ready to look at my third. Mm. What do I have to consider to get this show on the road?
0: Yeah. Good question and a common one, isn't it? I think for a lot of investors that I speak to out there, they want to grow their portfolio, That they want to continue to be taking action in some way, shape or form. So I think if you've got your owner occupier and your second one's an investment, doesn't matter which order you've purchased those in, but you've got to look at the number one outcome for this third property. So usually it's one of two things, cash flow or capital growth. Um, there may be some tax benefits hidden in there or, or put into the equation there, but shouldn't be a sole um, purpose. And then once you know whether it is capital growth or cash flow, you need to analyze what your cash flow of your existing portfolio is. So if your first property as the investment is, is a low yielding property that's already costing you money, it could potentially tie you in knots if you, if you go aggressively for capital growth. Um, and, and grab another low-yielding property as well, especially if the variables out of our control work against us, like interest rates, uh, maybe vacancy rates increase, um, the holding costs generally increase, which means two properties, low low yields on both of them. Uh, it ties us in knots. Worst case, we have to sell one or both because financially it's uh, we're using our future income to pay for it.
1: So if... If we are going to buy a third property, and you talk about with your clients in particular about having cash buffers and like an emergency fund, and if someone's got like twenty grand buffer in their life already, do you think it's overkill to want to be a little bit more cash heavy, or are we still okay with having that twenty k uh, on even the principal place of residence offset account yeah. before we pull the trigger, or is it like a comfort level or risk level for people?
0: It is a little bit, and it's also a how much can I save per month assessment as well? So yeah, definitely you got your cash buffer in your personal life, emergency funds or call it what you want. But then you should also have a property buffer. Yeah. Right. Or an investment buffer, call it what you want. You should also have a buffer based on per property what it's going to cost me before tax. So in the example that you mentioned, you've got your owner rock and, and that's all set aside. Um, the investment property, it might be costing me five grand a year before tax. So my buffer should be five grand as an absolute minimum, and that should always be there. Would
1: you go five grand for that property because that's the holding cost each year, mm-hmm. uh, pre-tax, and then also if it was five hundred dollars a week rent, take five hundred. Times four a month, example, $2,000. So, we've got a month of not tenanted. Like, I just want to give people the sense of, you know, it is our third property. There is another element of risk and because the whole thing, we don't want a hiccup to cause a catastrophic flush down the toilet of the whole portfolio. Yeah.
0: Yeah and most of that can be avoided and I'll comfortably say that because if you've got your insurances and you've got your buffers in order and you know your cash flow management and you know that you're saving money then majority of that can be avoided if you know your numbers before you execute so in that buffer if it is 5 grand to hold the property before tax we've already taken into account 2 to 3 weeks of vacancy anyway yep. into that 5 grand so that's built into that but if you want to add more great depending again on your risk profile, then individually speaking, what is your after-tax position on that particular property? Okay, I get a 3K tax return, so I'm still 2K net uh, in the negative. So I know over the next 10 years that that might be costing me 20 grand to hold that property. So I need to have that factored in before I go and buy that um, third property and, and then know what your focus is for that. So if you're also got a five grand holding cost on the on the second investment now how are we how are we paying for that how are we creating the buffer for that and um, how are we topping that up are we using future income which might impact our lifestyle somewhat because I, I often get people that come to me that have had maybe two or three properties and they've maybe had to sell them or they're asking me should I sell them it's usually because it, they're using their future income to hold these properties Right, that's not the idea of them. The the idea is for property to enhance their position, not set them back uh, from a lifestyle point of view.
1: Yeah, because if you technically were negatively gearing your properties and it was actually costing you to hold the property net each year or like a negative amount physical cash – you'll cap out at how many you can hold anyway.
0: Totally. And that's what I was going to get to was um, depending that, – that's why your strategy overall is so critical. If you're just continually searching for capital growth and and just disrespecting what yield that is, you, you'll come unstuck really quickly, especially if vacancy rates, interest rates and, and – uh, loss of income or some, all hits at the, at similar times. Um, so yeah, you, you've got to, you got to put your ducks in a row before you transact.
1: Okay. So a question on, I'll make a fictitious scenario up. Um, a couple have a home, just three better run of the mill house in suburb land or whatever they've purchased a, their first investment property uh, and they went the capital growth. we know this place here was you know mm-hmm. a bit of a holding cost. It speaks to the diversification play. Do you think we now as the second investment property or third property needs to be maybe to again diversify, let's go a yield play on this one just mm. to really smooth out the portfolio?
0: yeah level it out a bit so that your servicing is still pretty solid if you want to go again
1: because realistically it all come, like the the multiple properties it will come down to servicing
0: yeah that's right because and,
1: sure we can get a loan because we might have some equity built up yeah but it comes down to servicing
0: correct yeah and and i did a video on this um last week where I've got a client and we sat down just recently and and looked at their portfolio. They've got their owner-occupier. They're going to own their mortgage or have no mortgage in five years' time. So we've we've, um, calculated that. They've got an investment property property that I helped them purchase late last year. They're paying principal and interest and it's costing them $1,000 before tax to hold that property principal and interest. And we believe it's in a good quality growth location per year. Yeah, wow. So that's where like you just really need to know your research and know your numbers to like if they were interest only, that would be three or four grand more positive cash flow in a what we consider a growth location so they're getting actually getting the best of both worlds now when you read in the media that you can't get any capital growth or you can't get cash flow or the days of all that are gone it's is rubbish
1: Mm. so i spoke about diversification in terms of the money strategy whether it's cash flow or capital gain there's the, the diversification of i guess property and you know, a lot of the listeners know on the My Millennial Money podcast that, you know, I've got my house that I live in here, which is a townhouse. I've got a townhouse that's an investment property and I've got an off-the-plan unit. Mm. Now, if I have the emotional will to go again, yeah, which I don't know if I will, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but if I did, yeah, in my mind, I've got to go freehold, cash flow, because I just, if I have another bloody strata, property, I'm going to have a stroke.
0: Yeah. Look, and I'm thinking about that as you're saying it. I'm thinking two two things come to mind is maybe get out of New South Wales. Yeah, absolutely. Or yeah. off the Central Coast. Um, <laughs> I'm and- in Newcastle. Come oh, on. True. <laughs> Gosh, John. Um, and yeah, diversify the type so that you've got a balance there because the other thing that we speak about is land tax. Now, you you probably won't have too much of an issue now, but in 10 years' time, hopefully you will have a land tax Mm. issue because the land value has gone up. Um, So, yeah, we need to be forecasting that sort of stuff as well. So it really comes down to that long-term, what's my 15-, 20-year, 30-year plan if you're sitting here at 25 years of age and then draw it back to my next play right now instead of reacting instinctively for the next 12 months, two years. Mm.
1: Yeah, because I think the whole, the diversification of asset type, be it, you know, apartment or townhouse, like, we just know you've just got to spread the risk. Yeah. And that will smooth out the ride. Because imagine if somebody had three properties in one mining town yes. or up the Hunter Valley here where we are, yeah. where that guy that we talked to once wanted to buy two properties yes. up there. I mean, I guess because this podcast, it is for, you know, people that want to be encouraged with their property. Yeah. And we might not hit heaps of advanced strategies yeah, because it's just, you know, most people are still at an entry level and just want to be encouraged. Yeah. But I guess are there like any big things that you see if people go again, so they've had their first property or their second and they want to go a third one, Mm. is there a don't do this or for God's sake, please consider this? Yeah. Is there one thing that you would tell people to encourage them?
0: Yeah, and I, I talk about this a lot in the various clarity calls that I have with people is the first question I ask them, if they're wanting to build a portfolio and let's say they want three properties in the next 10 years, investment properties the first question i'd ask them is when do you want your owner occupier they're currently renting or living at home well when do you want to transact on that is it five years is it 15 years is it never right and then the answer to that really determines what they should be gunning for first up because and, and you speak about it with shares like mm. if if you're not in it for the next eight to 10 years, yeah, walk away. then don't do it. Yeah. So it's the same thing with property. They say, well, okay, I'll get three properties and I'll use the equity out of those three to go and buy my own home. All right. Well, that's all great in fairyland, but what if those three properties don't grow in value? Because it's not guaranteed. No, nothing is. So what if we buy two and then use that third deposit for our own occupier, even if it's going to be three years in time, at least we know that usually we when we want something, we want it sooner rather than later. So, when someone says they want their own rock in 10 years, they probably really mean six or seven. Yeah.
1: So, that's an interesting one to consider and I guess I want to finish on um, and it might be an elephant in the room uh, but we obviously need a good mortgage broker in our corner when we're doing this strategy stuff. You know, when we've interviewed brokers for our um, because if, you know, we've got a panel of brokers and Welly does like most our Melbourne face-to-face clients and anyone who wants to use Welly from listening to My Millennial Money, the first thing we ask is, what's your view on cross...
0: collateralization Yeah.
1: I struggle to say that sometimes. <laughs> or
0: securitization. <laughs> securitization.
1: <laughs> so, basically what that means is, if you... how could you explain it if you had your principal place of residence and your investment property and you go to the bank or a broker and they're either lazy or don't understand the process?
0: Yeah. So, it basically means if you've got multiple investments or multiple loans, they're all with the same lender and they're, they're using the asset to cover the startup costs of that next property, right? So, it may be... It avoids... Lender's mortgage insurance in some instances where they both cross them um, together to to have an LVR that sits at eighty percent overall, right? So, essentially meaning that if if you default on one of them, it's both of them at risk. Yeah. Okay. Um. And and if you sell one, you have to get the other one valued to ensure that that can stand on its own two feet right? And that's the problem that a lot of people run into when you cross-securitize. Now, I think it still has a, a, a part to play. like You you can go and cross-securitize, but just know the ramifications and know what your LVRs are, your loan-to-value ratios.
1: And if you are in a position where you don't have to, make sure you don't have a lazy broker who's mm. willing to do two applications, for example.
0: Yeah, that's right. It might just be a, a tick and flick for the broker. So yeah, obviously, you, you need to have the right broker in the corner, um, but also the right accountant as well because Again, a lot of people come to us and say, "Well, I want to buy a property for tax benefits or negative gear." Mm. Like negative gearing is not the be all and end all, not the best concept going around. Like you don't want to lose money. I
1: I don't like it because your strategy caps out because it's based on your own ability to have a cash flow in your life.
0: Yeah, totally. And and on the basis that your income better be increasing. Totally. Because if you're continuing to negatively gear property, yeah, you might be getting a better tax return. But if, you're, if your after-tax position on a particular property is still a negative one, mm. you are losing money.
1: Another consideration if you are going to your third or second property, and it's not all the time, and I've made a point before for me personally, so all three of my properties at the moment or well, the off the plan still getting built, but yep. as it stands, I'm with the one lender. Yeah. So I think we just need to be cautious about um, lender risk yeah. and, you know, maybe using a second lender to really quarantine your portfolio. Do you want to yeah. speak to that so quickly? Yeah.
0: So an example on that would be, let, let's say you've got your three properties, total value of two mil, the loans might be 1.5 Right, We know that's a 75% loan-to-value ratio, so I'd consider that safe. And what I mean by safe is you've got the… Safe as houses. Safe, safe as townhouses. <laughs> yeah. You've got the ability to go and refi to another lender, refinance to another lender. Um, that gives you choices. If you're cross-securitized at 90% for some reason or another, property might have gone down in value, and you want a better interest rate, you, no one will pick that up. You can't go to another lender because they're saying, "Well, now nah, the risk is too high," or if you want to come across to us, you need to pay down some of the debt before we'll uh, we'll take your your loan. And I guess
1: I'm not a broker, but it could, it might speak both ways. You might be able to get a better deal to have all your debt with the one lender.
0: And uh, yeah, and that's speaking to some brokers. That's the way they attack it. Is mm. I can get two and a half percent overall across your whole three properties as opposed to. 3% right now, yeah. you've just got to understand the, the negatives. The trade-offs, yeah. yeah.
1: All right, John, thank you for having a little bit of a chat there. I know we only scratched the surface, but that's always we, we just want to start the conversation, and uh, we thank you for listening to My Millennial Property, and thank you to Wellman you. Finance and yeah. uh, the team. All right. Bye. Bye. Special thanks to Wellman Finance, our podcast partner. Sean Wellman and his team are available to coach you through your property journey, even if it's your first time. With expertise in investment and home loans, they're in your corner providing education and support as you take each step. For more info, check out wellmanfinance.com.au forward slash m3. If you want to really turn up your property, education, and information journey, make sure you check out the Solvair Property and Finance Academy. This is an amazing online resource that John has put together. It's to empower and to give results to people who are either first-time buyers, whether for their home to live in or an investment property, or if you're a seasoned property investor, this online academy is for you. Check out the link in the show notes. It will change your life if you let it. If you're after personal financial advice, this podcast is not for you. But if you do want a financial advisor or mortgage broker to talk with about your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'll put you in touch with one of our trusted professionals.